Hello, thank you for downloading part two of this week's Socially Distant Sports Bar. We split it up, the podcast, between part one and part two. So as you've downloaded part two, you need to ask yourself the key question. Did I listen to part one this week? Because, best will in the world, there will be some back references to part one. That's why it's part two. Can you watch The Godfather part two without watching The Godfather part one? Arguably, yes. Is The Godfather part two better than The Godfather Part 1? Arguably, yes. It makes a lot more sense if you watch The Godfather Part 1 first, but I think Godfather Part 2 is probably better. And you feel free to disagree with me. I don't. I won't engage with you on social media. Mike might, Ellis might. I definitely won't. I would listen to Part 1 first, but what you need to take from that Godfather example is that Part 2 is often better than Part 1. Okay, so every Friday part two lands, every Wednesday part one lands. If you haven't listened to part one, scroll back, scroll back and listen to part one. If you would like the podcast without those annoying adverts, okay, the bits where you get a little bit of the secret guitarist and then in comes an advert. If you don't like that part and you want to do it without adverts, there is a way. Go to patreon.com slash distant pod. Have a look at the levels there. If you pay a little fee per month, you get ad free episodes. You also get them with extra content. So bonus content is available to you. It's about half an hour every week, I would say. Sometimes 45, sometimes more. But around about half an hour. And also, crucially, you get the episode in full, not split into part one and part two. So like Francis Ford Coppola went back and hopefully ignored Godfather Part 3, but jammed parts one and part two together and published them together. If you're so attached to Spotify that you cannot be separated from it, go to Spotify, search for the Socially Distant Sports Bar Extra. There is a little fee option on there where you can pay for the bonus content, the ad-free episodes, and get it in your inbox every Tuesday. If you want to come and see us live, we've done a few live ones this year. We did the Cardiff International Arena. We did a couple uh, in London at King's Place. We're doing another London show, part of Podcast Show Live. It's on the 22nd of May. Islington Assembly Hall. Have a look at the first link that's on this episode description and that will take you directly there. If you would like to see us generally, we did a TV show for the guys at BT Sport that is still available for you to watch. It's called Down the Clubhouse. If you have a look again on the episode description, click on that. That will take you to there. If you have BT Sport already and you've never watched Down the Clubhouse, shame on you. (laughs) If you enjoy this podcast, you will love it that TV show. So have a look at it, have a watch, enjoy yourselves and sit back now, relax and enjoy part two of this week's episode. Documentary time, uh, my choice this week, and I've gone for an audio option again. So this one is from a new podcast series called Good Sport by a guy called Jody Avagan, who did uh, the 30 for 30 series. And this episode is called Something in the Water, Where Do Great Athletes Come From? Bomani Jones noticed something. That's one of the best things about Bomani. He's one of the most popular sports journalists around. He watches games. He has takes. He has an HBO show. He has a podcast. We all have a podcast. 
But more than anything, Bomani is a noticer. I kind of picture him watching a football game on a Monday night, standing a little off to the side, arms crossed, head cocked, thinking about the plays, the players, the sport as a whole. And then he notices something about some of the players on the field, especially the wide receivers, especially the white wide receivers. It's very interesting if you note the like really good white wide receivers. They seem overall to have one thing in common, which is they all seem to grow up in places that are almost exclusively white or at the very least don't have black people. Now this, this is an intriguing observation. If you've watched any football over the last, oh, 40 years, you've probably noticed that most of the top wide receivers are black. But there are the occasional white pass catchers who break through. So take Cooper Cup, for example. Cooper Cup, incredible receiver. Also, fun name to say, Cooper Cup, Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup is from somewhere in the middle of nowhere in the state of Washington, went to Eastern Washington University. Yakima, Washington. Yes, Yakima, Washington. Don't even need to look up the stats. I think we... Nope, 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 nope. You said it all, right? Um, Jordy Nelson, remember he played for the Packers from Manhattan, Kansas. In football, the stereotype is to see black players as faster and more athletic and to see white players as the brains of the operation. This racist stereotype meant that for decades, there were very few black quarterbacks. Black players would run or catch the ball. White players would be behind center. Bomani's theory kind of turns that inside out, right? Because if you've got a football team in, say, Manhattan, Kansas, and all of your players are white, who's going to play wide receiver? So... I like Jody's work anyway. Big what fan. a find, mate. Brilliant. Big, big fan of Jody's stuff. So one of the ones I chose before was the 30 for 30 podcast, and Jody was sort of in charge of those. Um, when I was over in New York, I had lunch with him, and we were kind of chatting through what he was up to, and he said, oh, I'm working for Ted now. And I was like, okay, cool. As in Ted Talks Ted. But yeah, it, it took that part of the conversation for me to work out that he wasn't working for a massive teddy bear. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or Ted um, Robbins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> what of all the Ted's to go for? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Ted Kennedy, Ted Roosevelt, Ted Robbins. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, so he works for Ted, which is Ted Talks. They've got um, the audio side of things that they're doing now. And this is a whole series of different sort of questions around sports. And this one is about sort of nature, nurture, origins of how you get a great group of athletes from one particular area. And it starts off talking about white wide receivers. Yeah. And your immediate thought process is, well, fucking hell, I don't want to listen to this. Because yeah, think, that's what I thought. Yeah, it's like, well, Steph picked here. Jeez. Yeah. Um, but but it's, it's a really counterintuitive. He's gone way. full combat 18, I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Why are there no white wide receivers? But the, the thought process is really interesting. And then it goes around mm. the ones who do exist and have made it into NFL have come from predominantly white high schools where they've been given that opportunity in a way. And the same with Well, yeah, they have to play receiver because there's no, there's no black kids to play receiver. Yeah, so the natural sort of biases of people come to the fore. It's something that I've seen a lot of talking to reporters in New Zealand, sort of around the All Black squad. They never really had playmakers who were Maori initially. So when mm. I was covering them, there was always this sort of thought process that the 
islanders in inverted commas were the strong lads the maoris were sort of wingers or creative but not not the maverick sort of 10 or 9 and that sort of changed with carla spencer and perinara now that's it's kind of all altered a little bit and i like this sort of how does that happen where do they come from yeah they mentioned the cooper cup stuff at the beginning didn't they yes and it's weird because i've always heard the you know you'll see the other argument about you know if it's black people winning events people always look for a reason why black people are good at that particular event Gen- yes. that's genetic right yes because it can't be they've worked harder or they've had, you know, the, they've got role models in that sport or they they want to do that. There must there must be a reason. No one ever says, why do white people always win skiing events? Yes. They must be better at skiing than black people. Yeah. 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 Never happens, right? It's obviously about, and it's, he, he goes on a lot about opportunity on this and volume. Yeah, the volume was the thing that hadn't really occurred to me mm. because it's fairly obvious that if you have lots of, good coaches who know what they're doing in place, that will help. It's fairly obvious if you have role models, that will help. And it's fairly obvious that maybe if you have a lot of parental support, that will help. But the point he makes is if everyone gets brilliant coaching, then what will happen is your base level will improve. So then the real stars, the ones with the real genetic gifts or the real natural talent and flair, they will be even better because you were saying if you're playing, say, basketball in New York, it's very easy to get a pickup game yeah. that's of an incredibly high standard. It'd be like if you were, I don't know, going around you know, a big city in the UK and playing five-a-side. There's so much five-a-side going on. If you're decent, you can play it to a decent level, yeah. Well, you also about North London, you know, how many of those cage football games you talk about? Yeah, yeah. Do those boys end up playing, you know, top, you know, professional football? Oh, a huge amount. It's uh, it's amazing. It's amazing how many of those players go on to have a good career. They talk about Kinston, don't they, in North Carolina and the percentage chance of you being an NBA player if you come from Kinston is dramatically mm. larger than the general populace of the USA. And yeah. yeah. When, when I was chatting with Jody, I was sort of saying that there are, how many world champions are there from Wales boxing? 13, I think. Steve Robinson... And Barry Jones come from the same street in Ely. And it's like, well, that's yeah. that, that's nothing to do with that street. It's nothing to do with genetics. It's to do with a good coach in that area in sort of Ronnie Rush. And yeah. the aspirational quality of seeing someone down the street who can do it yeah, as well. Of course. For yeah. Barry. So Barry sees Steve doing it, and then Steve can do it. And those sort of elements of it are fascinating. The mm. Indian table tennis coach that who moves to the USA and creates... Whose son doesn't speak to him, I'd imagine. <laughs> no natural talent. He has no natural talent. Yeah. He puts in all the work. It. He has he's got no, no talent. He's got no, no talent. talent. Yeah. He's, he's no cru- talent. What, what's he lacking then? Talent. The crucial for talent. <laughs> yeah. what, what, is it? what has he got? Hard work. What doesn't he have? Any talent. <laughs> it's just like, oh my God, please leave it. <laughs> I know, I know. At oh, some God. point, he's going to listen. I mean, that must have been... Obviously, there's lots of it in translation there, right? I think a, bit, a little bit, I hope. I hope so. Otherwise, he's really he harsh. Because <laughs> obviously, his, his son is obviously good at table tennis. Yes. So he must have a talent. He's got, he, he hasn't got no talent. Yeah. He hasn't got it, which is which I found fascinating at the end of it. So you know, all these, all these different metrics, but, you know, what is it? Yeah. 
And he said, because we're not interested in the very good. We're interested in the great. If I briefly blow my own trumpet for a bit, at 18, I was very good at rugby. Okay. I wasn't great because I didn't have the whole package. And you've got to have everything. And when I started training again a couple of years ago, it's weird. You start doing stuff and things come back to you, right? So mm. I started have a real pain in my heel and real pain in my ankles and my, and my knees, right? I can remember now that, and my lower back, I've got a terrible yeah. problem in my lower back in the last couple of years. Well, when I was playing rugby, I used to have all those problems all the time. I can remember my back being in agony and me strapping okay. up my ankles. And so it wasn't just the fact that I had a bit of a bad attitude and I, I didn't have a great disciplinary record. I was playing injured nearly all the time. You don't, you don't remember it until you get those same injuries again. I'm like, Fuck, I remember this. I remember this. Yeah. So to, to be great, you've got to have everything. You, mm. You've got to have, you've got to stay relatively injury free. You've got to be able to put the time in. You've got to have the coaching. You've got to have all the physical attributes. But then you've got to have that it yeah. to be great. And, then, and that means everything. So if you haven't got everything, at least for a part of your career, you'll never be great. And, and you might lose it then, lose bits of it and fly. You know, oh, Tiger Woods, you know, as soon as that part of his life is not good, then he becomes not a great golfer. Because all the other bit, you see, he, was, he didn't change height or weight or, or swing. Mm. The clubs hadn't changed. The courses hadn't yeah. changed. The ball hadn't changed, right? But something in his, in, in his makeup was different. And he went from being unquestionably great to being okay. It was weird. This is one of the most fascinating half hours. People should really listen to this half hour. Mm. Because I was one of the, I'll put my hands up. I was one of the people who used to think that you know black people have a genetic advantage mm. because as a white person, it's easier to think that than that person wants it more than you, or is training harder than you, or is you know. Well, it's the lazy stereotype of Polynesian rugby players. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. Oh, they're genetically blessed, aren't they? They got massive feet. They got muscle tone. What? So they don't work hard. Mm. because they they got a natural propensity to put on muscle. So, yeah, but they're still lifting the weights to put the muscle on. And, still and it's a way out of poverty. Yeah, work, exactly. So grafted it. Think of your drive, it and- yeah, your drive there. If you're, uh, I don't know, a Tongan rugby player, for example, your drive there to provide for yourself, for your family, and for your village is huge. It's, mu- it's certainly much bigger than my drive. Well, especially if you go to like a school in New Zealand when you're 15 or 16, Leave your friends, leave your family. Yeah. You can just focus on the rugby. Because what else is there to do? Football and Brazil. I mean, it's a big country, Brazil. But if, mm. you're, if you're trying to come up with the all-time Brazilian 11, <laughs> the players you have to leave out, it is hilarious. Mm. How do you fit in Pele and Jarzinho and Romário and Ronaldo and Ronaldinho and Socrates and Rivaldo and Kaká and Careca? It's... Mm. Any of those would be straight into any other country. And Brazil keep mm. on... It's because it's all... A, you know, football is a huge sport. Croatia is probably a better example because it's such a small place. Yeah. But they keep playing and keep producing great players. Well, look at New Zealand with rugby. And every time, you, every time someone is the best you've ever seen, they get injured or they get... Something happens and they bring someone else in and think, mm. hang on a minute, he's the best I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It, you know... But it is over there. When when you go to a school, it's like the volume thing that the table tennis fellow's on about. I remember reading about Graham Henry's book years ago when he was at uh, Auckland Grammar School. Okay, yeah. They ran seven sides. Yeah. 
Yeah, there yeah. were seven school teams. Mm. I think even the shit kids <laughs> played rugby then. Not in every year. Seven. No, I don't mean like seven years of rugby. No, 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 no. Se- yeah, in the, you've got a seven. The senior, the senior team had seven, fifteen. So that would be yeah. forty-nine teams, wouldn't it? Probably. Uh, probably would have been every age group. Yeah. Yeah. If we'd had seven, my year wasn't big enough in school. But if we'd had seven teams, mm. the fifteen in the seventh side wouldn't mm. have wanted to have been there. And they yeah, played. But they love rugby in New Zealand so much. Yeah. You are willing to play in the H team. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But you're willing to play in the H team and then working on the volume principle, someone from the H team gets better enough to go in the G team. Thank you. The G yeah. team. I can't work backwards in the alphabets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This could, this could be quite a long anecdote. And then it improves <laughs> the team, which improves the E team, which improves the E team, which improves the C and the B and the A team. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that works then. And is it Rad- Radjul? I think Radjul Sheth is the um, table tennis coach. And his yeah. sort of concept, are, so he comes from India where he is a table tennis player, paid by his company to play table tennis, which is brilliant. It reminded me very much of sort of rugby union where you'd have this nominal job and that wasn't really what you did. You actually played rugby, whereas he plays table tennis. And he comes over, works, he works sort of pumping gas at night and in sales then during the day and then gets back into coaching table tennis. And eventually there are seven Olympians that come out of his coaching from the same area in California where they've never had any table tennis players before. Well, it's what he says he plays against the American team. Mm. And he's a, 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 you know, a fairly average Indian player. And he's like, I was just so much better than them. Yeah. yeah. They were shit. Yeah. Because they haven't been coached I, d- I didn't realise to listen to this that it was that, it was that popular. I knew like cricket, obviously. Yeah. I didn't know table tennis was that popular in it. Yeah. I didn't know you'd be a pro, no. No. I didn't know you'd be a pro ultimate frisbee player either, to be fair. Like, this, that's, that's great, isn't it? Imagine being a pro. That'd be great, <laughs> What a life. What a great life. There was, I think in Iceland, in Iceland, I think there's one UEFA-accredited coach for every 11 kids in football, Mm. which is why they've got a good team for a country that's got a population smaller than Cardiff. They've just got loads and loads of coaches. So if from a very early age, you're coached properly and everyone plays. If If you can find an exception to the genetic rule, Right. Yes. Then it makes the genetic rule bullshit. You know, that isn't the reason. Yeah. You know, hard work and all the other stuff. So I was just reading about it. Like, I remember um, Keteris. Remember Konstantinos Keteris, the um, Greek 200-meter runner? I, I will call the uh, Greek 200-meter runner who was on an awful lot of drugs. Yes. He, well, yeah. Let's, if we're going to start getting rid of... <laughs> oh, we're not getting rid of all the drugs. Yeah, yeah. We'll be here for a while. Yeah. But in that two-year period, right? So five foot eleven, not particularly tall, seventy three k. That's about that's about average. Yeah. But look at his record here. Mm. So Olympic Games, two thousand Sydney, two hundred meter gold. World Championships, two thousand Edmonton, gold. Mm. European Championship, two thousand two, two hundred meter gold. European Cup, two thousand one, gold. Two thousand three, gold. I mean, for that two year period. Yeah. He was the fastest two hundred meter runner on the planet. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And obviously, doping aside, right? I'm not gonna, I'm not going to get in the, into that debate. The reason that Usain Bolt is the best sprinter of all time. Mm. It's not because he's black. No. It's not, it's, not, it's not the genetics of being black. He trains his bollocks off. He's got great levers. He is, he's gifted with his height and his, and his levers and the, way that he, and the way that he runs. Yeah. But where he grew up, 
all the people that he aspired to be would have been sprinters. Yeah, yeah. And in your in your town, being yeah. the fastest kid in the town was a massive thing that people all came out to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, they have great pride in the sort of heritage sprinters as well. So yes. in Johnson and Linford Christie yeah. as well, they sort of, that whole from Don Quarry all the way through, you've got quite a line yeah, yeah. then, haven't you, of people to aspire to who were yeah. mm. Jamaican sprinters. If it was only black sprinters who were any good, Christophe Lemaitre wouldn't exist. Do you know what I mean? He wouldn't mm. have got Olympic bronzes and a couple of European golds and stuff like that. It just wouldn't happen. So I, I like anything that goes a little bit more in depth on that stuff. It's very cleverly done though, mate. It's very cleverly done because at the beginning, like you said, it's almost hard to listen for the first five minutes. Think, Where's this going? Yeah. Well, it's really difficult. And I, I've never heard that side of it before. And as soon as you realise that, why shouldn't a white kid be a, be a good wide receiver, as good as any black kid? Yeah. You, as soon as you think that, you have to then think, why wouldn't a black kid be as good a quarterback as any white kid? Exactly. Yeah. So how, how many black quarterbacks have there been? You can kind of The fact that you can look that up tells you not a lot. But as soon as they open that door, yeah. the kids could see, kids could go to their, their high school practice and they want to play quarterback. Hmm. Because Warren Moon did it. Yeah. And then because Doug Williams won a Super Bowl. And then, and then suddenly you've got, you know, rafts of fantastic. There wasn't a black coach in the NFL until about 10 years ago. Yeah. Again, coming down to the athletic, powerful stereotype. Yeah. Therefore, can't do the nuance, mm. which is absolutely bonkers. Which is, that's a horseshoe. If you take a second to think about it, which people yeah. clearly don't, if you take a second to go, why would you think that? Zero sense. Absolutely nuts. The the volume bit, I really like. She talks about getting in as many table tennis players as he can. So he gets like 400 in. 400 down to one. I was really interested in that. And he reckons out of the 400 who would come and try it out, he could get 200 then to stay for summer camps. And out yeah. of those, he'd find 50 who were any good. And then, not including yeah. his son, <laughs> and have them <laughs> training and training and training. Oh, bugger. Down to the one. And he's right, though, because they've had how many Olympic champions there? You know? Well, they've had seven Olympians, which is nuts. Seven. Seven. In a, in a little club in Los Angeles. Yeah. But I suppose I, that I, is, that was the original theory behind replacing the merit table with a proper league in Welsh rugby and then the regions, wasn't it? That your best players would be playing meaningful games of a hmm. higher standard more often so that then when they played international football, um, you were, you, when they played international rugby, they they were sort of they were match fit and had been hot housed in effect because the way he was talking about basketball games in New York, if you're constantly playing games of a really really high standard, mm. then everyone gets lifted by that. Yeah, it was that same way. You know, it's it, it's a tide that lifts everyone, isn't it? I suppose if everyone is so, your worst players will be better then than your best players in a in a country where where the where the standard isn't as high. But the volume thing then, if you're looking at Welsh rugby, mm. which we often get back to, because that's what, you know, unapologetically, I can remember Barry having four senior teams. Mm. And I can remember the school having, you know, two teams in every, in every year group. Barry had, there was, there was Barry Plastics, there was Barry, there was Del Con- I mean, we had four or five teams in Barry. I think shops had their own teams and the British Gas had its own team and, the, you know, if you talk about volume, there were so many more people playing rugby then. Yeah. In, in club rugby. Yeah, yeah. So if you if you if you do the regions wrong, 
which I think they did, then you cause a drop-off in club rugby. And we haven't got those kids coming through. So that's where you've got to get all those, as many of those kids engaged as you can. Yeah. You know, why, why is Ben, and Ben goes to one of the best rugby schools in the country. Mm. Why are they getting nine kids training? Mm. Doesn't make any sense, right? And they're, they're a good school with great teachers and I'm not knocking it, but you- 100%. And it's not, it's not down to the teachers. It's, it's to do with the way the sport is is promoted and everything else. They've got to get numbers in. They've got to get more yeah, people yeah. doing it. You know, that's the thing with – look, yeah, it's, you go to India, why are they fantastic at cricket? Well, everyone plays cricket. Yeah, why? if Jonathan Davis, with all of the gifts, the natural gifts and talent that he was given by God, mm. Mm. if there'd only been a handful of boys playing in Trimsaran yes. when he was a kid, he wouldn't have improved because – you need to be playing against players who push you. But he wouldn't be able to play because he wouldn't have had a team in Trimsaran. Yeah. Mm. How many people have come from that area now? Oh, it's insane. Yeah, Gwendraith Valley is incredible. At one school. Out of Gwendraith, you've then got a bunch of, well, specifically in Jonathan's position, you've got a bunch yeah. of players. Barry John, through. Gareth Davis, yeah. Jonathan Davis, so, Karen James. So you can go, oh, <laughs> I, could, I could play not just for Wales, but I could go on a Lions tour and win a Lions tour if I wanted to because yeah. somebody else from here has. Yeah, so yeah. It's and you'd know that. Completely plausible. Yeah, it's completely possible to do it. But yeah, that that thing, the 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 X factor, the thing, I think is yeah. a fascinating quality as well. He had a lovely line at the end when he says it's about that other stuff can open doors, and it can help you to keep that door open long enough to find the people who've got it. You know what I mean? Mm. So, so it's funding comes into it as well. Yeah, it's got to be properly funded. But bloody hell, yeah, it's it's a it was a it's a it's a fascinating listen, mate. I, I, don't, I don't really know the bloke. Well, as soon as he said 30 for 30, I knew it'd be good. Yeah. But it's not, very, very rarely that I listen to something on uh, on Spotify or anything else and think, I'll listen to all the rest of these. Because the way yeah. he talks about it as well. Yes. He talks about, and it, it, it's quite, he's got a nice, he's just, he got the right amount of humor there as well. It's, the right yeah. amount of self-awareness. It's a really fine line, isn't it? Because yep. he absolutely nails the witty, New Yorky asides where I've done some stuff like that in the past where I think I've nailed it and then a few years later I've listened back to it and gone you sound like a penis man <laughs> and it's, it's a really, really I doubt you do by the way no no but you, you it's a really hard line to go okay I'm mm. gonna tr- I'm gonna do a little twist on this or an aside he talks about the end about about the lens and it's, it's a really fascinating... Metaphor. Metaphor? Analogy. Metaphor. Thanks, Sal. Analogy. Nice. He says, we'll use sport as the lens, and you know, sometimes it'll be like a microscope, uh, yeah, you got, uh, like you a telescope, sp- sometimes it'll be like... Yeah. Uh, sometimes we'll turn the lens on ourselves. And then he takes them... Make it a mirror. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we'll use it as a magnifying glass it. and hunch over and examine something small but fascinating. Sometimes we'll use that lens as a telescope. A way of looking at something distant but full of promise. Sometimes we'll take that lens as a metaphor and stretch it Here to we the go. point where you're not really sure what the hell Jody is talking about. And he, I he, love that. That was a superb payoff. It's great because he's done one too many and you're like, fucking hell, yeah. all right. And then he, yeah. oh, fair play, that's good. Listening to American podcasts by Americans makes yes. me feel so sophisticated. Yes, it does. I, I agree. just mm. feel... I feel like I could talk about this. And cultured and grown up whenever I listen to America. No, I, I think that this is the sort of podcast where 
like ones by the New York Times or like Serial. Yeah, the Daily. Yeah, the Daily. I always feel like I should listen to that sort of stuff, but I don't. It makes me feel so sophisticated. If I went to a mate's house and we were all there having a dinner party or something, it doesn't happen. But if if this was happening, mate, the dinner. I feel like I could then contribute to the conversation and go, "Have you listened to uh, Jody Avagon's Good Sport podcast?" Whereas no one is doing that about Distant Pod. No one is sat around (laughs) at their school parents' dinner party. Going, I think I think I think the only people jokes. talking about distant pod, they're drinking Good. they're drinking cans under a bridge. We're <laughs> <laughs> massive in the drinking cans under a bridge community. People who nicked phones <laughs> are our core audience. I think we go as deep as, as anyone else when we need to, boys. Have you fucking listened to distant pod? Have you fucking listened to it? <laughs> what is it? Three fucking can stalking shit is what it is. They just fucking bang on and on and on and on and on. <laughs> it is fucking long, mate. It is long. It is long. It is fucking long. I got all day and it's fucking long. <laughs> right, it is time for this week's book review. Mike, what have we got? Right, well, some, a sport that I love, rugby league. Lovely. A player I got a lot of time for, Sean Long. Now, my mate Jack, who uh, teaches where I used to teach, a PE teacher, went out with him uh, and his and his other half recently, me and Cal. Mm-hmm. He loves his rugby league. He said this is the best book he's ever read. Oh, okay, wow. I don't think he reads a lot of books. Um, <laughs> no offence, Jack. Is he from the Tank um, Engine series? <laughs> it's called A Hungry, Hungry Caterpillar. <laughs> I, I quite often, I've noticed I quite often put in a caveat that I haven't read these books yet. Yes. But I usually get around to reading them. Yeah. I haven't read this yet, and I might not read it. I don't know. <laughs> Brilliant. This is a great sale so far. <laughs> a thick man has recommended me a book I won't read. <laughs> but but yeah, please, thank you. see you next week. Use the episode description um, to avoid. Yeah. Jack's not a thick man. I, I listened to a book the other day, right? And it was, it was just, it was atrocious. And I wasn't sure. Right whether we should start reviewing books that we just recommend people not to buy as well as yeah. we recommend them to buy. I wouldn't say that because sure. I, I wouldn't wish that on Sean Long because I like Sean Long. I like Sean a lot. He's a good bloke. I'll say this. The, the photograph section is ace. Mm. Um, if you think that rugby league plays are just different and the North England is just different, there's nothing in the photo section that will, that will make you change your mind about that. Uh, my favourite one, there's two photographs, one of me and... Me, my Spider-Man wellies, and my favourite ferrets ahead of a knight's poaching, aged five. It's one of the photographs. Then there's one of his old man in what looks like a Mark I Capri. His old man's wearing a poaching jacket with a rifle. It says, well, the shotgun, I should say. My dad posing in front of the family Capri before driving home with some rabbits for tea. <laughs> right? Then there's a great photograph on the next page. Uh, me posing with my knight's supper, aged around four. And it looks like he's holding... Two pheasants in his hands. I, I think I think they're pheasants. I can't really make it up. <laughs> so basically, he grew up poaching with his dad, going ferreting, all the stuff that you you know I want my northerners to do, right? <laughs> <laughs> and amongst it all, just play a fantastic rugby player. But I'm just going to read you. I've got as far as the introduction, right? And I'll see if I, I'll see if I if I'm going to carry on with this. I don't know. Introduction. I was, I was tempted to do this in a Sean Long accent. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> It'd be great. When I told my mate I was writing a book, Martin Gleeson, good, good nickname, 
almost choked on his pint and said, who's publishing it? Fucking Ladybird. <laughs> the joke went down really well and got a lot of laughs, the cheeky bastard. Seriously, though, I've got a few interesting tales to tell about my life on and off the rugby pitch. I've assumed the vast majority of people who've bought the book are rugby league fans. So I made every effort not to bore you with a long-winded chronicle of my career. To me, this book is meant to lift the lid on the crazy stuff, both on and off the field, and tell the inside story beyond some of the scandalous stories I've been involved in. Of course, there might not be much left once the lawyers have been through it. And it's called Sean Long, Longy. Not even the long and short of it or something like that. Come on. No, Sean Long, Longy. Yeah. Booze, brawls, sex and scandal. <laughs> the autobiography of the wild man of rugby league. <laughs> So I do think I'm going to, I'm going to probably read it, to be honest, because it does look like my cup of tea. Um, here we go. Chapter seven, In Bed with Basil. Super League is done for rugby league, or the internet did for porn. <laughs> it, it fired the game to a massive audience who were ready to get more of it. Like the way you explained I mean, it as well. Like it wasn't enough as an analogy. I could have really explained it. My career coincided with this revolution, the most exciting period in the history of the sport. I started out in the pro game of the year Super League was born, and I've been fortunate enough to reap the rewards that have gone with it. There we go. Super League is done for rugby league, what the internet did for porn. <laughs> yeah, I am going to read it. Do you know what? I am going to read it. It's going to be a toilet book. I don't think that in a bad way, as we all know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this is going to be my reader chapter on the loo every day. Um, here we go. Is it chapter, your way two lost called, chapter two is called Poaching, Skiving, and Smoking, Aged Five. <laughs> Yes, please. Uh, look at this. I came into this world on September the 24th, 1976. My mum and dad tell me I was a fast developer. I was walking at 10 months and talking, not coherently, but hey, that's not changed. A few months after that. My mum says I no longer needed nappies by my second birthday. She hasn't seen me after 15 pints. Yeah. He's written yeah, his so, after uh, dinner up as a book. So a fabulous rugby player, goes without saying, right? He won the Lance Todd Trophy three times. I think he's the only player who's ever done that. It's the short long. Mm -hmm. I'll just read you. And to be fair, this is also co-written with a chap called Nick Appleyard. So I'm not saying that, that Sean wrote the titles for all of these chapters. But I'll read you the, the chapter titles, ready? Okay. Forward by Johnny Vegas. Good start to anything. Chapter one, Unsaintly Weekends. Yes, chapter two, Poaching, Skiving and Smoking, Aged Five. That's great. The best title <laughs> great. for a chapter ever. It is. Chapter three, Discovering Rugby and Girls. Chapter four, Wigan Bad Lad. Chapter five, I'm a Saint. Chapter six, Lance Todd and Me. Chapter seven, In Bed with Basil. <coughs> chapter eight, It's Wide to West. Chapter nine, Sozzled in Spain. <laughs> chapter 10, Booze, Babes and Mad Mike. <laughs> chapter 11, Calming Down and Finding the One. Booze, babes, and mad Mike. The next chapter is calming <laughs> down and finding the one. What a great chapter. Chapter 12, The Bradford Bet. Uh. Chapter 13, A League of Gentlemen. Chapter 14, International Playboys. <laughs> chapter 15, Messed Up Down Under. And chapter 16, Shaun of the Dead. Amazing. So, uh, Joe, I am going to read that. I was going to say this sounds cracking. Yeah, I'm having that. It looks that. bloody brilliant, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now I think so it looks fucking brilliant. <laughs> right, so I'm going to read. Sean Long, Longy, Booze Brawls, Sex and Scandal, the autobiography of the Wild Man of Rugby League. Thank you for listening to this week's Socially Distanced Sports Bar. There will be another episode for you on Wednesday. Okay, part one of next week's episode will land with you on Wednesday. We will see you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.